So it's interesting because uh, this week preparing for this, I, I actually, I once again had something totally different I wanted to preach on, the book of Jonah, which is an odd book, but there's just, there's actually, I bet how many people have actually read the book of Jonah in a study, like, you know, deeply? Because, you know, I think that most people just, it's very short and we hear it. Uh, as for children a lot, we think Jonah and the fish, but there's actually a lot in there. But the Lord started to redirect me, and I heard uh, James 4 and Romans, it was very specific, 7 through 17. And the last time I was with you guys, I preached out of Romans 8, uh, that verse, and I tried to get out of it so much. I'm like, Lord, I just went through that. I'm pretty sure they remember it. <laughs> but, you know, how many people know that the word... You could read Romans 8 five times in a row, and the, he's got fresh revelation every time. It's just, if he has a message, we got to roll with that. And sometimes James can be intimidating because it's almost like a rebuke in these areas. But I want to just tell you that um, I, in humbly praying about it, because I'm in the trenches with you guys, so it's not really a rebuke. It's sort of a, a message to, I think, what's going on in the church right now because of the warfare, I experienced a lot of warfare just preparing for this week. And then as soon as I came in here, I could feel the power. I, I, the heat started to come on my hands. I felt the power of God. I started weeping. So I know, and, and even what Miles was preaching on, just the words that are starting to break forth, the prophetic that's starting to increase, the gifting in the room that's here, we know God is getting ready to do something. So we expect that there's going to be some resistance, some warfare, because God is getting ready to do major things in the body. And I believe that's why we've been humbled. You know, the Bible says that humble yourselves before the Lord. That's actually in James, what we're going to read, so that he can exalt you. So I believe this nation being humbled in uh, the churches is because God's getting ready to exalt his church in the midst of darkness. And so this message started to make a lot more sense to me, because originally I was like, I don't get intimidated preaching because I'm, fat, I'm infatuated with the Word. I love Jesus. I, I love reading just the Word. And if I could find anybody who will listen, I'm all about it. And you guys are like at the top of the list. There's hunger here always. So it's exciting to come here to a people that want to hear the Word. But then as I go through this, you know, this is something I would probably bring forth uh, new believers and explaining the difference between worldly, worldliness and spiritual maturity. But I really believe it started to drop in my spirit over there why the, the Lord was giving me this this week is because in order to have the glory, in order to walk in power, in order to resist the spiritual warfare, we have to be awake to what the enemy throws at us. And it's this worldly mindset that can creep in. And that's why understanding and studying the word consistently because it's something I battle with all the time. You know, it's just self-centeredness, which is the human nature, which is totally opposite to Christ, right? But it's the way that seems right to a man. So it creeps in, and sometimes we're not even aware of it, and then we start to read the Word, and it's convicting, and, and I get convicted, but, but not to the point of condemnation. So we're going to like just pull whatever the Lord has for us out of this, because I think it's about pursuing godliness, which... Um, Callie had asked me, what's the title of your message? I said, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. But really, when you think about it, it's pursuing godliness. It's pursuing holiness. And it's, it's what every believer is called to. And so many times people come into the, the kingdom through a need. And that's totally fine. 
because we're all starting somewhere, not everywhere. Some people need to get to heaven. Some people need to not to go to hell. Some people are desperate in a pit of life and need to get out of it. But, but there's, a, there's a point where revelation has to come upon us where we switch from needing something to becoming something because needing something is still focused on self-centeredness, which is actually worldliness, which is actually not Christ-likeness, right? So, so it's this way that seems right to a man, but leads to destruction. So when, when, the word start, uh, when, when the Lord starts to give a message like this, I know it's because he's equipping us. So you can use, especially James, as like a hammer on people. And it's like, Everything we have to read in the word is with the Father's heart. So we put on the lens of the cross that God loves us, and then we interpret it through the cross. Because otherwise, it, you can read certain things like, oh, you adulterous people, and, and, it, and it hits home, and it feels like, whoa, is that God speaking to me like that? But it's through the cross, because God wants to break off this worldly stuff that actually is the enemy trying to put us in bondage. So it's... it's you are set free by the truth. So when we do it in love, we know that it's God producing a, a revelation for us in love because we can handle it. Because there were times in my walk where I wasn't ready for God to give me certain messages because I would have went into condemnation, right? And so what I always tell people is, if we were to do an altar call right now, the second somebody gives their heart to Jesus, you don't even have to lay hands. The Holy Spirit's coming. He, it, the Bible says that he jealously longs for the spirit he put in us. That's what, he, what is in James tonight, that God jealously longs to be with the spirit that he's put in us. So the second he sees our heart open wide, he's coming. Nothing's stopping it. Boom, it's instantaneous because he's jealously waiting for that moment. So if we were to do an altar call, the second that person gives their heart to Jesus... They're saved, but nothing's changed, right? But a whole lot has to change to become holy. So, so there's this process where we recognize that it's not about salvation, it's not about getting to heaven, and it's not even about just giving our heart to Jesus, that, that he wants to do something more. It says that he came to restore that which was lost. What was lost was who we really were, right? So I'm not even into the, into the scriptures yet, but you guys get an idea of where we're going with it, right? Let me just, before we go into this, right, I, I love using this analogy because I feel like if, if we put this in our minds right now, it'll give us a really good picture going forward. How many people know what Stockholm Syndrome is? It, I'm going to read it to you, okay? It's when somebody gets kidnapped and they've been with their abductors for a very long time, so much so that they actually become friendly to the abductors because it's the psychological mind adapting to their situation, right? So this is, what, this is the definition of it. It says, Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological response. It occurs when hostages or abuse victims bond with their captors or abusers. This psychological connection develops over the course of days, weeks, months, or even years of captivity or abuse. So I think like, um, depending on how old you are, but it, people would remember John Benet Ramsey. It was like a famous case, little girl who was taken out of the house, I think, in the middle of the night. So imagine somebody gets taken out of their family's house. They were a very wealthy family. So that little girl would have had the best of education, the best food. They, they were wealthy. 
And then this little girl grows up with these captors who she doesn't know anything else because she was very little when she was taken, right? And that's all she knows is these people that have held her hostage. But that's not her family. Her family was somebody else. So now if she goes 18 years living with these people and then gets rescued, how long do you think it takes to break what she has learned growing up for those 18 years with a family that wasn't hers? That's the picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It says he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So when he said, I came to restore that which was lost, he's coming to restore you to your rightful place to show you you weren't made for the kingdom of darkness. You were made for the kingdom of light. However, depending on how long you've been in the kingdom of darkness, there's mindsets, psychological things, there's nature that we all inherited because we were born into sin. That's not really who we are. So when you got rescued, you are now in the kingdom of light. But how long does it take to break off those natural, the, the way that seems right to a man, right? So it's, it's against the kingdom. It's worldliness, but it seems right to us because we grew up in darkness. You see, it's amazing. And so what happens is we have to get a revelation of who we are by reading the word. And then all of a sudden, we start to identify things that we're doing naturally that seem right but are actually not kingdom and it's not in condemnation because we're already in salvation remember Romans says there's no condemnation in Christ so we don't receive the message with with heaviness where it pushes us away from God it actually reveals to us how much he loves us and it pushes us to God so so when I'm struggling with these things you know self-centeredness even in marriage a marriage is like the ideal place to, for God to show you how selfish you are because you're living with someone every day. Everybody's in a rush to get married, but, but in reality, you know, who, who drank the last coffee cup? You know, it's like, who, you know, who got more sleep last night? You know, and all of a sudden, self-centeredness starts to expose itself, but you're godly people. You love Jesus. You're preaching the gospel. You've given everything to him. But yet there's this thing inside, the way that seems right. And to the world, it looks totally normal. But Jesus is trying to tell us, it's not normal in my kingdom. And I love you. And he's so long-suffering. He's so patient. And so the revelation of where I've fallen should actually push me closer to his arms if I get a greater picture of who he is, not away from him. See, the world that doesn't have revelation... They hear these things that are difficult to deal with because they recognize that they live like that and they have no escape from it. So they push God away because they know they can't break out of it. It's impossible. And neither can we without the Holy Spirit. But he's given us the Holy Spirit to overcome. But that's why it's called the pursuit of godliness because we have to pursue it. So what he's doing is he's showing us who we are, our identity, and giving us the opportunity, actually the invitation to say, come pursue it and I'll help you. And so the more we pursue godliness, grace shows up and starts to enable us. But a lot of times he can't deliver us for, from something that we're not identifying as even a problem. And see, that's where the word comes in. And this is what James is going to talk about here. So we'll pick it up there. It says James, it's actually James 3 verse 13. And we're going to start there. I'm reading out of the NIV, so if you want to just listen, if you don't have that translation, that's fine. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Stop right there. 
wise and spirit of wisdom and spirit of understanding. Those are attributes of the Holy Spirit. He's, what's he saying? He's saying, who is mature among you, right? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So the Holy Spirit is going to teach us through the spirit of wisdom how to do good deeds in humility. And the person who's wise among you, which means the mature believer, is going to have a life that demonstrates good deeds done in humility. So, it, so, so the danger is quoting scripture, you know, learning Christianese, singing songs, and, and doing everything Christian-like, but not having the life that reflects Christ. So, so, so God's saying, hey, I'm doing something great in your midst, and I'm calling my church. This isn't just for me or for you. It's for everybody. I'm calling my church to holiness because that's where the power is. And see, what I started to realize over there prophetically, the reason why I had so much blockage trying to put this message together was because the devil doesn't want us to get that revelation because his claws work in us when we continue in worldliness. And a lot of times it's, it's out of ignorance. The Bible says my people suffer for their ignorance or their lack of knowledge, right? So the more we get revelation, the more we're able to say, so I see where the enemy's coming at me. So even though it seems right to me, once I identify that I'm in a fight between evil and godliness and the thing that I'm doing is actually wickedness, and it's actually against God. Now it puts me in a battle because I love God, and, I, and I, can, I can fight against it. Even if it brings me to my knees because I'm failing, that's where grace meets you. That's why he says, to the one who humbles himself, he will raise up. So as I begin to battle the enemy and weep and say, God, you know, I'm failing and I'm crying. Why? Because my heart's for the Lord. That's where he meets you. Watch. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Why? Because not recognizing it gives it a place to land. So if I don't identify what I'm doing that's wrong, the enemy has a landing strip right into my life. Watch. He says, such wisdom does not come from the world, which means the wisdom of man, the way that seems right to man, he says, does not come from from heaven, come, does, uh, sorry, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So there's this natural way of thinking that we're thinking like everything's fine, and it's totally demonic, and it's totally, we're giving it a landing strip because we're not recognizing it as being against the kingdom, right? So then he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. That's the landing strip. So he's saying where there's self-centeredness, the enemy has a landing strip into your life. So he's not convicting there. He's not, we're, we're saved. He loves us. He says you can't, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So he's not trying to bash us over the head. He's trying to reveal to us in a loving way that, hey, if you don't deal with self-centeredness, there's a landing strip for the enemy. And all of a sudden, Pity, anxiety, self-hate, um, stress because you feel like you're failing, and e shame and condemnation will start to creep in. But it's because we have this landing strip in our life that we're not able to deal with because we're not identifying, which is why we need the Word of God. So without the Word of God, there's nothing shining a light on our attributes that are actually worldly, right? So he says, 
Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Ooh, that's a dangerous word for all of us. Nobody likes the word submissive, right? But these are God's attributes. So anytime we're going against these things, we're actually giving the enemy a landing strip in our life. It's not about proving ourselves to be worthy because we've been made worthy by the blood. So a lot of times people like, don't want to admit when we all are cut from the same cloth. We've all been taken hostage by the enemy, and we're all trying to unlearn the natural way that seems right to a man. So, so we're, we're no longer captives, but we're psychologically damaged because we grew up in a world that was raising us that wasn't our father. And that's why Jesus said, he said, your father the devil. Right When he was talking to Peter or, or, or whoever, when he was re rebuking them, he said, your father, the devil. He loved those guys. He wasn't, he, he's bringing revelation that there's attributes that aren't mine. And, you're still, and, I, and he's recognizing it on, the, on his boys. You still got attributes of that one, right? Jesus said, uh, the prince of this world has come, but have no fear, boys. He's got no part in me. What's he saying? I'm not, I have no self-centeredness, so... He's got nowhere to land in me because I've come for, for the Father. So, so Jesus walked it out perfectly. We don't even have a, ch a chance in you-know-what to, to do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. It's, it's, we, it's, it is the most humbling thing. That's why I'm desperate for God. This is the kind of stuff that will produce humility where you're crying out for help because as your love for God grows... You want to be holy. You want to be godly. You don't want the evil wickedness in your life, but you recognize your inability to do it. And that's where it brings you to your knees. And that's what brings people up here crying out for a touch from the Holy Spirit. And see, that's the danger of churches not having the presence of God because they need an encounter with the living God. Yeah. It, 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 he can break things off in an instant and you, and you don't never have to deal with it again. But there has to be a place for him to land. That's why it's a privilege, and I haven't gotten very far, but there is a privilege to come here because there's people here that are not looking at the clock. And even if you are, okay, when I first started going to church, I, I, I had no idea of worship. Like, I had no landing strip for it. it was, like, I, I didn't know what worship was all about. I was grew up in a regular church where... You know, 15 minutes of singing, 45 minutes, and we're out of there. You know, it's drive-through. And see, that's so attractive to the world, right? And see, when you, you get in here and, you know, we're, we're an hour and a half in. We haven't even got to, you need hungry people for that. So, so when, I, when I come across hungry people, I'm like, praise you, God. Praise you, God. Because those are the people God's going to pour out his glory on. Because he looks for the hungry. He says, the hungry shall be filled. Shall. So, so when there's hunger in the room, that's why when I came in, I felt the heat. I felt the presence of God come on me. I start weeping. You, you're not going to get that where the manifest presence isn't at. So it doesn't matter. God's getting ready to do something. So I, I feel like he's preparing us to just be aware of the schemes of the enemy, right? We always have to be aware of how the enemy is trying to tear us down, not in condemnation. So he says, what, uh, sorry, uh, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers will sow in peace, 
and reap a harvest of righteousness. Chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? This is self-centeredness. And so what do we see in the church right now? Because of what's going on, it's like a hornet's nest that God is exposing all of the things that need to be dealt with. So, so we're looking at it like it's a bad thing, but God's like, no, no, no. I'm doing this on purpose because I'm getting ready to exalt my church, and I need everyone to see what's going on, what needs to change. Because it doesn't take you long to go on social media and you see Christians attacking Christians, which is actually attack, attacking Christ. Because Paul said to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? But Saul was persecuting the church. But he said, why do you persecute me? So anytime we come at our brothers harshly, even if, they don't see, even if they're not seeing right, we're actually attacking Jesus. So everything we do has to have the Father's heart. It has to be done in humility or else it's not the spirit of wisdom and understanding because the Holy Spirit, it says, will produce good deeds in humility. And so a lot of times it's rightness, people trying to be right, their own opinions heard, and, and really we're tearing, like I'm seeing leaders that I don't agree with, but then I'm seeing other people like whew, whew, slinging arrows at them. It's not right. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the spirit of wisdom, right? We build up. We don't tear down. That's, Jesus is a builder. Apostles are builders. He's building his church. So all of us with Christ in us, we build people up. That's what we do. So I, I feel like he's wanting to address that. And he says, You're, you desire, but you do not have. You kill. You covet. You cannot get what you want. Now, hold on. I'll stop right there because we hear kill and we're like, well, we're not murderers. But remember, Jesus said, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. So it's not even about committing murder. It's about selfish wants or, or as soon as we get in a situation where everything's, I've been in a situation this year where, or two years, where transition, God's turning up the heat because he's purifying. He's, he's revealing things, taking you to a higher level, and I want you to get rid of certain things. So he turns up the heat. And we think we're under persecution. Sometimes it's God wanting to remove things so he can bless you. And, and so I'm in this place and as we get into all these peace-loving things and all that's easy when your bank account's full, you're not having problems with the IRS, you, 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 it doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's got problems, whatever it is. You, know, you could have a sibling dispute. You could have problems in marriage. Whatever it is that, that is bringing heat or pressure into your life, sickness, you know, all of a sudden, these things start to manifest. And, where, and you're like, where did that come from? And all it is is God showing there's things I want to heal you from and break you into a new place so that you look more and more like my son. But what James is saying, if you have these things, if you see something come out, don't lie against the truth and act like it's not there because then I can't deal with it. So he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you want to spend what you get on your pleasures. And so sometimes we just read that and we think, oh, it's about seeking. God wants us to ask for things. But it's also people don't ask because they don't believe God can supply all their needs. So they ask for certain things, not realizing God wants to be everything to you. And so there's a lot of things we start to go after ourselves because God hasn't given it to us yet. And God hasn't given it to us yet because he's not, he, he, we can't handle it yet. There's certain things that he wants to purify first so that he can bless it's always his nature to bless, but not to your detriment. So he's like, 
we got to deal with these things. And sometimes we're just like going, putting the cart before the horse and trying to do, do, do. And we're, we're skirting it. God wants to be the full provider of everything. But in order to get that, we have to lay down the labor of our hands sometimes and fully trust him. And it, it's the longer road, but it's, it's the more prudent road. So he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means anonymity? I always mess that word up. Anonymity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We know all these scriptures. But the point is, is that he's showing us that this worldly stuff is actually to be an enemy of God. So right then and there, I'm not going to make excuses for it anymore. I got to deal with it. But in a place of victory, in a place where I know God's going to meet my need and that I'm not walking in shame, that I'm cling... What do you think the devil's going to do if every time he puts pressure on you, it pushes you closer into the arms of God? It actually starts to work against him because it's pushing you closer to Jesus. And that's exactly the way Jesus designed it. All right? So we're almost done with James. He said, therefore, anyone uh, who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Here's that verse I quoted earlier. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? So he's telling us, see, there's sort of a rebuke there, but he's saying, don't you know that God jealously longs to be in full possession of the spirit that he put in you? He's talking about your spirit that God made you alive with and that he jealously longs to possess it. See, you got salvation and you receive the Holy Spirit. You have regeneration, new creation, new life. But there's a possession of the Holy Spirit that's a fullness that they walked in that you begin to see the things that Jesus did. And that's what he, he wants for every single one of us. And so I believe that as we cut these things out, that's, that's when God can put more weight of his presence on you because you can handle it. Because anytime. There's more given. There's responsibility to who much is given, much is expected. So it's God's desire to just pour out him, him, his whole self on you. It says that we lack nothing. It means everything's available. But he can't put the weight of God on a brand new baby believer. It would crush him. So, so there's a process that we're all striving towards. That, that once, you get, once you get a picture of what God actually wants to give you, it should create massive hunger in you because the only thing standing in the way is just ridding ourselves of this worldly stuff, which we all want to do anyways, right? So then we jump over to Romans, and it immediately, same thing. He said Romans 7 through 17. It's, it's amazing because I was trying to cut this out because the last time I was here, I preached on Romans 8. It's Romans chapter 8, 7 through 17. And it just... It was like a puzzle that I was trying to put together that wasn't fitting without this verse. So how many people say, God knows what he's doing? God knows what he's doing. So he says, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. So we see that this battlefield in the mind between worldliness and spiritual maturity. And he's saying, this mind that is governed by the flesh is actually an enemy to God, which none of us want. So we have to go through the word and see the attributes of God and then start to let the Holy Spirit expose what's coming out of our mouth. Because the Bible says what's in the heart comes out of the mouth, right? So, so all of a sudden, there's things that the world doesn't make a big deal about, but it reveals so much about a person. 
And so if you get around people, when the, when the fire gets turned up, you'll see what's in their heart. And so God's not looking to expose people. He, he wants to break bondages. Amen. And so there's that verse in Ezekiel where God heats up the pot and he's burning out the dross. And so it's the fire that burns out the dross. And we're going to read about that in Corinthians because it's the purifying fire that God wants to burn away with that we have access to, but we get it through humility and in the reality of what's going on in our lives. So he says, uh, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Remember I said we, we can't even do it without the Holy Spirit. Lost people can't do this. That's why they reject it. But they don't, that's why we need testimony. So people see the goodness of God identified in someone's life so that they have something to relate to. That's why lost people don't respond to scriptures getting thrown at them because they don't have the revelation yet. If you are grew up in that hostage home, you can't imagine something you've never experienced. So there has to be a picture for them to see to gravitate toward. That's you and your testimony. That's why you don't have to be a Bible theologian to save souls. And see, here's what happens. People often say, you know, I'm nervous about evangelizing, nervous about talking to people. What am I going to say? What if they ask me questions and I don't know the answer to it? All this stuff. See, when you start to deal with self, you'll have testimonies. Testimonies is how you deal with other people. So it's like God will start to do things in you. This is, this is the story of my life. As I, I was in tremendous trouble in my life. And as I surrendered to God and started to focus inwardly and change the things about me based on what God was saying, all of a sudden he started to help me and my life started to change. And all of a sudden you have testimonies. And now you can't keep your mouth shut because it's, you're so excited about what God did, you're going to tell somebody. So it all comes back to transformation. And it, it, it's so simple, but I think sometimes we just don't want to deal with it because of shame and condemnation, which is not God. It's the devil trying to keep you to be free from whatever it is that's got you in bondage. And it's different for everybody, but we're all dealing with the same nature. So we're all in the same, same boat. There's nobody that's better. Jesus said, you're all brothers. He said, call no one on earth your father. You only have one father in heaven. So he's letting us know, hey, you guys are all in this together. And I want, like, when I receive a message like this from God, my first thing is, oh, God, I don't want to deliver that message at that church because I, I, I view you guys and hold you in such high regard. There's such spiritual maturity and gifting here. So, and I'm like, but I'm right in the trenches with you. Some of us need to understand that when we get a spiritual, fleshly mind going on, we have to become professional jujitsu artists and wrap that thing up. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says we are taking captive every thought and submitting it to Jesus Christ. So when we start to recognize there's, there's worldly stuff starting to come into my mind, I got to wrap that thing up and submit it to what the Word of God says, right? That's who you are. And, and the Holy Spirit is in you. So he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. So you've got all the power you need to do it. You just have to ask God for help. He said, you have not because you ask not. So it's about being honest with yourself about what's going on in your life. He wants freedom for his children. He paid for it. But he can't make you, you know, you see that old saying, you can take a horse to the, to the water, but you can't make it drink. And he wants all of us drinking from the river, all of us. So he says, uh, 
You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness, not rightness. See, God spoke to me about that too. He talks to me a lot. He said, you got to deal with people in righteousness, not rightness. Because a lot of times it's really easy to see someone's flaws and see where they're not at. But what if Jesus did that with me? He deals with me because I'm righteous, because my faith is in him. So it's the same way when I said if I did an altar call and somebody came down here and gave him his life, he's saved in that moment. But nothing's changed in his life. I can't expect very much out of him. He needs discipleship. He needs to grow in Christ. But he's righteous because of faith. So as we begin to see people righteous instead of rightness, we can see them how God sees them. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have his eyes looking at people. And I'll just share a a supernatural thing God did once. I was at a Randy Clark meeting, and people were getting prayed for, and it was all people standing up. And I stood up, and I just looked around, and all of a sudden, in an instant, I saw everybody as children, not as... I can't really explain it. It was supernatural. Not as um, they, they weren't looking like children, but I saw them like they were children. And I began weeping uncontrollably. Like I couldn't even handle it. And it was gone as quickly as I had it because that's like how God sees people. And, and if I was to live like that, the weight of it would crush me because I would be, my heart would be bleeding everywhere I go. And, but he gave me a glimpse at like what the enemy was doing to people. Because all I saw after I come back, I saw the pain. I saw the, what the world had done to God's people. And, and it just produced like this, you know, like, oh, like at the enemy. Because I could see the pain that people were in, in that moment. But I just saw them as happy children. And it was like, oh man, the world is beating up on people. God's not angry at people. God wants to set people free. That's what his church is supposed to do, build people up. And religion has taken scripture and used it as a hammer. And it's, it's pushing people away. And, and I'm telling you, there's unrighteousness, there's injustice in this season of life. You have to be very careful to protect our hearts and not get a hard heart. The, the hard heart will, will not let you be the heart of the father to somebody else. Because all you see is the wrongness instead of righteousness. And, and suddenly we're demanding justice. And, and that's not God. God says mercy triumphs over justice. He's a God of mercy. And so even crying out to God, I, I would say, God, uh, help me increase my capacity to love. Because I'd get to scriptures in First John where it says, if you don't love, you don't know him. And I would say, God, I, I feel like I know you, but I don't love everybody. You know, and I want to. And, and so I would say, God, Help me to increase my capacity to love. And then he would begin to show me things in my heart that I was still harboring bitterness over that had happened to me that was creating a hard heart that I didn't even know was there. And so if you don't, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes it's easier to just be blind to it because it's like ignorance is bliss. And in order to be honest with ourselves, we have to go back and find the hurt that was somewhere in there from the world, which is what I saw in all those people. There was hurt. And God wants to remove that, but it comes through honesty and humility, right? 
And as you allow God to remove it in you, he begins to use you as a weapon against the enemy. And you actually become the weapon that the enemy used, that God used to break other people out of stuff. That's why he has a purpose. Yes, praise him. Because he has a purpose for every single one of us. And so we're all in this thing together, working together towards something much bigger. And as you grab hold of that, all of a sudden your life has a purpose that starts to break off self-centeredness because the world is living for them. The kingdom is driving towards something, right? The spirit and the bride say, come, we're all together going towards this pinnacle moment where Jesus is coming back. And so it makes us all a part of something together that if you are actively participating in it with a local body, it, it, all of a sudden the other stuff starts to break away because as you begin to see the suffering and the pain and the hurt in the world and you start to have an effect, all of a sudden your stuff isn't as important because you're making a difference in people's lives and, and suddenly you want more of that and God can begin to move. So I didn't get very far because there was like 1 Corinthians was loaded, but we'll see how we get, right? He says... Uh, uh, let me find my verse. Verse 11. And in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So he, sin is not the problem. He dealt with sin on the cross. So it's not the fact that you have something going on. It's identifying it so he can deal with it. And sometimes we're so worried about like, am I going to be exposed? Like as if nobody else is dealing with stuff, right? <laughs> we're, we're all dealing with stuff, you know? And, and the, the more honest we are, the easier it is for God. That's why he says, live in the light. You're children of the light. The enemy lives in darkness. He wants everything to stay hidden. But as we bring it out, it, all of a sudden there's freedom, right? And he says, uh, verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. So we're obligated. We're, we're, it's, it's the obligation of every believer to pursue holiness. And see, the real detrimental belief system is that I'm going to church and someday I'm going to heaven. And see, that mindset is in so many people and they're looking at the world right now saying, Jesus, come. And I'm looking at the world saying, Jesus, don't come yet because there's so many people perishing. Just give us a little bit more time. Just give us a little bit more time because he's coming. I know the Bible says to usher in the return of Christ. But when you start to see, and I'm telling you, that's God's heart. God wants, if you just read scriptures, like the story of Moses and when Korah was judged for going against, like Moses was like so meek and humble, even though they were coming at him. And he was so concerned for the people of God, even though they came at him. And, and that's why God was able to use him because he had God's heart and he knew God was the judge and he knew how serious it was to fall into the hands of the living God. And so he had this mercy upon him because he knew what would happen to people. And so that, when we get that revelation, it's, it will put an engine inside of you that you're like, God, just give us more time. Just give us a little bit more time. Just help us pour out your glory. We've got this. We're excited and we want to help people and save people. He says, uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. There's people out there dying, and, and, and people are so worried about getting a 401k, is the stock market going to crash, and they're so prepared for their late life, and they don't even know if they're going to get there. But they're not preparing for eternity. 
This is why it's so important to be realistic about what the scripture says. It's so easy to come in here and, and, and fluff you up and, and just give you an awesome message. And this is filling your spirit. You're not going to receive the true revelation of God and not be filled and want more of it. doesn't matter how, how difficult it is to hear it. So he says, uh, verse 14, he, no, sorry, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And you have to wear that. You have to accept that. You have to own that. I am a child of God. I live in the light. And as you confess that and know it and accept the righteousness, you will have zero tolerance for this other stuff. And you'll go after it like a fighter because it is a matter of life and death. And you don't want anything to do with the enemy. So, so, so we just can't have a critical spirit about ourselves. We have to understand we are already righteous. We are already have salvation. We are winning. We are fighting from a place of victory. And that is something to rejoice over. And so he's invited us into it, and we're going, we're going to go after it, Lord. We're going to go after it, Lord, right? So he says, this is, this, we went through this last time, but it's almost over because it's at 17, but if God wanted us to hear it, there's a reason. <laughs> the Spirit himself testifies within our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also share in his glories. So when we allow ourselves to enter into suffering, we are also sharing in his glory. See, it just, it just, it's totally opposite from the world. And so when, when the gospel goes out in a manner that's from self-centeredness, it, it skews the truth. And so people can't understand when they're going through stuff, why they're going through it because they've entered into a gospel that was rooted in self-centeredness. And as we start to see the kingdom and that it's totally opposite, then all of a sudden these things start to make sense. We understand that there is an enemy that is pressing up against us, but that also God wants to purify us. The blessing comes after you've been purified. Just look at David's life or Joseph's life. There is long times of purification. It wasn't just because Saul was after him. God was purifying David for what he was about to give him. And so we enter into the, these places in my life. I've been through several cycles of it. It's not fun. I don't love it. But I'm, I get excited because I know God's faithful. I know he's good. I know, I know he's bringing something better. So I grab onto that and I hold on to it and I keep pursuing him and I keep asking him to purify me and show me the things I need to change so that I don't keep going around the same mountains. All right, let's jump into Corinthians. How much time we got? All right. So I'll try to skip some areas. I was going to do three chapters, but we can't do that. So we'll just go through it and see. You guys are hungry, and I'm hungry, but I'll, I'll sit here all night. So let's just do a little bit more. He says, I always thank my God, starting in verse 4, sorry, chapter 1, verse 4, 1 Corinthians. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So 
he's telling us that, but he's also saying this to the church because he's about to bring correction to the Corinthian church. This is not a church that wasn't operating in the gifts. They prayed in tongues. They were you know, operating in all kinds of the spiritual gifts as it talks about later on. So this was a fully functioning, one of the best churches at the time, but they had all kinds of worldly stuff going on. So, so gifting in supernatural power is not the prerequisite or the preeminent goal. It's a tool for us to accomplish what God wants to do. The goal is to become like Jesus. And it's so important never to forget that because people will just get so focused on raising the dead, seeing miracles, because it's fascinating, you know, and it's power, and, and we want that. It's, it's something that is ours, so we have to go after it. But the true goal is to become like Jesus. So he's dealing with them about that because they had factions and they were starting to, and we see that now. We see people clinging to people that gave a prophetic word and clinging to other people that disagreed and all of a sudden there's factions within the body and people are attacking and, and God doesn't like that, but he's exposing it and we have to step back and go, whoa, maybe God did this for on purpose to expose all these things that the devil had in his church. Why? Because God wants to purify and bless. That's the process, purify and bless. And so we're in that process now. So we have a great reason to rejoice in hope because we know how God works. And so we know the blessings coming because we see the humility, we see the purification. So we'll jump down. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, in that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So notice, James was talking about the battlefield being in the mind, that there's worldly wisdom and there's spiritual wisdom, and, and one's opposite to God. And so he's telling them right here, I want you all to be of one mind and thought, and the worldliness, the way that seems right, will come in and create division. And a lot of times, what happened, like I said before, when everything's going good, everything's going good. And you can love your neighbor as yourself, and it's no problem. But when the fire turns up, it's a totally different story. It, it becomes very difficult. Why? Because the way that seems right to a man says, God, I'm just being crushed right now. You know, I just lost my mother, I, 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 my car broke down, a single parent, whatever it is, people going through really difficult situations, and, and life is beating them up, and all of a sudden, you get to those verses, and it will crush you if you don't know who you are, because you feel like a failure, and that is not God. God. God wants to bring power into you, and so he reveals all this to bring freedom. Amen. So I... Th we don't have time to do chapter two and three. I just want to get to this part because this is really important in, in uh, chapter three. So basically, Paul's dealing with this. There's factions, and he's, he's giving them a rebuke and telling them to come together. And then as we get down here in chapter three, I'll pick it up. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. So here's a church operating in gifting, you know, praying in tongues, raising the dead, healing the sick. And he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual. I had to address you as worldly. Wow. Because they had all the attributes of what we would think is a church that's got it going on. And so the thing that he's saying is, watch, we're going to go into it. He says, who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Now, I would never think that. If I saw people praying in tongues, 
worshiping their butts off, healing the sick. I would think God's in that crowd. He calls them infants. Why? Because of their worldly mindset. So it's so important to be Christ-like over the gifts. The gifts have come. But how many people know in Matthew 7, he said, you did mighty deeds in my name, but I never knew you. So, so we, we, there's a lot of gifting in this church. And I'm not even saying this is a rebuke for this church. I'm just saying this is how the body of Christ has to be constantly reminded of why we're here, who we're supposed to represent, because we're ambassadors of Christ. Right? And all those other things just come with the deal. As we start to, you know, walk in a greater relationship and we start to move things out, God's going to make it all happen. We don't even have to worry about it. He says, for uh, I gave you milk and not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are not, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So he's addressing them saying, you're, you're, a new creation, a, a divine creature when you're in Christ. So we have to wear that mantle and understand that's who you are. He says, you're just mere human. So, so the world is acting this way, but that the, the God's body should act in the divine nature. And that's how he's addressing them to continue on. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom uh, you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters it is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be awarded according to their own labor. So we all have a responsibility on our lives. We, we have a responsibility together as a body, but we don't have to worry about other people because everything is going to be judged, and that's what we're going to see as we go into. Revelation twenty two twelve says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and I bring with me my recompense, each according to what they have done, whether good or bad. So Jesus is not only coming, but he's bringing back something for each person. So that's a sober mindset to have when we understand that you can come in here and, and be part of each other, but we all have our individual relationship with Jesus that has to grow because you're going to stand before him someday and look him in the eye. And all of a sudden, the minister, the pastor, whoever you've been leaning on, and not saying that you guys are, I'm just throwing this out there because this is the world's, uh, the church in the world is functioning this way, that they need to understand that they have a responsibility with Jesus themselves. You can't lean on anybody. Your local body's not going to be there defending you. So it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. The responsibility always falls back on me. So he says, for we are co-workers in God, in service, you are God's field, God's building. By God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. This is sobering. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping the flames. That's what I wanted to get at. Because it shows us there's a place to get to where we're going, but to miss out on something. And he says, when you build, this all comes back to self-centeredness. Because you can actually do godly things and it be rooted in self. And what he's saying here is, that's going to be tested in the fire. It's not making it through. So it's a sober thing, but, but understand this. God reveals this because he wants to give you what he has prepared for you. That he has something prepared for every single one of us. But if we don't build on the solid foundation, which is rooted in Christ, which is, which is love doesn't seek its own. Christ Jesus is love, and love doesn't seek its own. And so all of a sudden, I start to look at my motives. I start to dig deep into why I do certain things, why I say certain things. These are the things that had to mold me and shape me and change my life the most because I was honest with my motives, and it starts at a childhood because of things that happen in childhood. And we don't even realize, it doesn't make you a bad person. We don't even realize we're doing it. Like holding the door and expecting someone to say, Thank you, and when they don't, my whole day's ruined because I was upset that they didn't thank me. And it, 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 it all it showed was I was in need of validation, and I was doing good for validation. And it was self-centered. That's not going to make it through the fire. And all of a sudden, I'm deceived. I'm thinking I'm doing good deeds, and I'm, I'm losing my reward because I haven't had revelation to dig into my heart of why I'm doing the things I'm doing. So we do good things because we are good not to receive something from it. It's because it's who we are. And so it's, it, this is freeing. This is revelation. It's like, whoa. Why? Because God doesn't want you to miss out on what he has prepared for you. Remember Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. He says, there are mansions. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. So he's preparing something for us, but it, our life what we do in the flesh has to pass through the fire of God. And the only thing that's going to make through it is the stuff that we did for Jesus and for the kingdom out of a pure heart. And so, man, I'm just like, okay, God, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for freeing me, right? Because all of a sudden, I could be like, you know, doing all these things and getting my heart even more offended and wounded. And we see it all the time in the church where people are offended you know, a pastor comes out, he's busy, he's thinking about the sermon, and he shakes one person's hand and doesn't shake another, and now the other person's like, oh, he didn't even recognize me, and, and they're offended. These are the things that sit in people's heart all the time in churches. And it, it, it's only because we're not digging into the word, getting revelation, and then dealing with it with Jesus. And it's not because he's mad at us because he wants to bless us, and he's preparing something for us. So let's just uh, transition into... Praying, um, you know, to where you want to come up. Let's just wait on the Lord. <clears throat> Hope that we. Hope that we receive that. And really, in this season of my life, I'm really learning to, to trust the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things that I really appreciate these two people because. I learned so much about people on how they treat other people. And I see in their heart the way they minister to people. They're not in a rush. 
you're not an inconvenience to anybody up here. When you come for ministry, like, like just coming into a building that has the ability for God to give you a prophetic word that can break something off or change your life. And just, just so you know, when God gives prophetic words, a lot of times it's to sustain you through the time it takes to make it come to pass. Many times I receive a prophetic word and the testing comes right after it. Everything that the word said, exactly opposite happens. So you, like, like what Miles said, you got to contend for the words that God gives you because he's given it to you out of the heart of love because he knows what the enemy's going to come to who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to steal what God has prepared for you. And so when he gives you a word, contend for it in prayer and understand it doesn't matter what's happening in the natural, doesn't matter what comes at you, God has spoken over you and it will come to pass. You just need to be faithful with it. So let's just close our eyes and just focus on Jesus. Last week, Miles said, you know, we talked about having a picture of Jesus in your face. And it's funny that when he was talking about it, it's exactly what I do for a long time now where I just close my eyes and I, I try to imagine his face right before me. And, and a lot of times when I'm praying, all of a sudden the outline of his face will all of a sudden just appear. And, and uh, there's no eyes. It's just building on something because I'm pursuing him. You know, Brian Guerin talks about the bridal realm. There's places in Jesus that we can contend for in intimacy. But I always tell people, don't treat God casually. You, you don't treat life casually. If you treat life casually, you won't get anything out of it. And Jesus is so valuable. So we've we got to learn to wait on him, no matter how long it takes, and just pray and ask him for, Lord, for, for your spirit to come. Holy Spirit, come. We're hungry for a touch from you. We're hungry for your manifest presence. We want the Shekinah glory to rest on this house, God. We just want to break things off of people and bring the freedom that you want to bring, Lord. We want you to put your heart in every single one of us so that we would have the Father's heart as we go out into the world. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. And in fact, um, if you'd mind coming up and, and Candace and, and Lisa and Miles and Daniel, you know, Jesus sent them out in twos. And the reason why he did that was because it it, there's that scripture that says, um, what's the scripture with two, a, a cord of two or three is not easily broken. And so the two people with God makes the third. So when two people go out, when he would send them out on two, it's a team. And you have to remember, when you come in this place, this is your place to be healed, to be loved on, to be made whole, to feel safe. This is not the end goal. Out there is the end goal. We come in here to be made whole again, to be strengthened, to be loved on, and to be built up in the word. So you have to feel comfortable. And there's so many, so many people in here with gifts. I would just like it if we could do a couple groups of two. And just as we begin to sit and wait for the Holy Spirit, if you feel the Holy Spirit begin to touch you, we want to bless that. We want to go with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and then anybody else, if you just want to come up to people that want to uh, pray over them, Daniel, if you could come up and just as a prayer. And Miles and, and Candace, you go with um, you two. And maybe you two here. So Holy Spirit, we just ask your presence to come and begin to touch people. We 
bless what you want to do tonight. In Jesus' name. If you pray in the Spirit, you can begin to pray in the Holy Ghost.